Straw Hut Media. Even though you might not be a cosplayer yourself, we all dress up and play make-believe. Whether it's doing drag, or just dressing up for a party, or even pretending you're going to yoga on your Instagram story, when really, you're going to Denny's for moons over my hammy. Speaking of hammy, my guest today designs, creates, and dresses up in costumes professionally. In the past, he's transformed into Robin, Aquaman, Gambit from the X-Men, the Green Lantern, and Captain America. The list goes on and on. But even though it sounds like all fun and games, traveling the world dressing up as your favorite superheroes isn't always a dream. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's usually a dream. Stick around and we'll hear all about the ups and downs of being a pro cosplayer in the age of Instagram and Patreon. I'm Levi Chambers, and this is Pride. It's not every day you meet someone young, queer, super funny, super athletic, and attractive, into cats, and also a total nerd. And honestly, if any country is going to give us a person like that, it's going to be Canada. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, my name is Michael Ham, and I'm a Canadian-based cosplayer, uh, model, social media influencer type thing, slash, I guess, you know, geek, nerd, loser, whatever word you want to use, and I feel like I'd be letting everyone down not to also mention that I'm a, a huge cat enthusiast. So that's that's who I am. When he's not posting about his cats on his Instagram, Michael is traveling the world, attending conventions, and creating costumes. For Michael, dressing up has always been a big part of his life, basically for as long as he can remember. Throughout his childhood, he jumped on any and all opportunities to dress up. Halloween was like the best time of my life, but even that was never enough. I would find literally any excuse I could to dress up. So if it was like pajama day at school, I wouldn't just wear like flannel pajamas. I would wear basically Spider-Man pants and then a Spider-Man shirt and feel like I was Spider-Man. Um, we would even have like these student like student assemblies and I would try and find excuses to wear costumes to them. So I would buy costumes from like thrift stores of like Batman and just wear them to the assembly and just be kind of a goof. Um, I remember actually I... Went uh, When I was in high school, I joined student council because I knew that that would allow me to have a lot more opportunities to dress up because I would be the one in charge of running all of the student assemblies and running all of the pajama days and like taking care of all of that stuff. But even then, like that was just me in a costume. I didn't know what cosplay was. And I've been going to conventions for about 10 years now, but it wasn't until 2003 that I finally got the nerve to cosplay. Um, I had seen people in costumes everywhere. I had, you know, been going to these conventions for years, and I really loved the idea of cosplay, even if I didn't know that there was a word for it, because just the the idea of seeing these superheroes doing the most mundane things was so hilarious to me. Um, but I never had the nerve to do it, because going back to the high school stuff, like, I did get made fun of a lot when I dressed up in these costumes, but I knew I was always in a safe space and I was on student council and I had all my friends around me. But the idea of doing this in a place where I didn't know anyone was terrifying, so I just avoided it for years and years and years. And then one day I was at a Halloween party in a costume that I made and 
there was someone there who cosplayed professionally and he asked me if I cosplayed and I said, no, I was too scared. And he essentially took me under his wing, helped me make like an entire set of armor and then dragged me to our local convention. And I wore uh, what is ostensibly a cosplay for the first time in front of strangers. And I absolutely fell in love with it almost immediately. The most agreed-upon origin story of the word cosplay is that the term was coined by Japanese director and producer Nobuyuki Takahashi after he attended the 1984 World Science Fiction Convention in Los Angeles. Later, he wrote about the elaborate costumes that fans wore at the convention in an article for the Japanese magazine My Anime. He couldn't find a word that accurately described what he saw there, especially one that would work in English and in Japanese, so he made up a new one. The word cosplay is portmanteau of costume and play. In Japanese, the word is cosplay. One of the most significant differences between North American cosplay and Japanese cosplay is the performance aspect. Michael finds opportunities for both. It depends on the character and it depends on the situation. So, for example, if I'm getting photos taken, I love to sort of embody the character just because it helps me hit the poses that I need to po- like hit the poses I need to be in to create like a dynamic photo. But when I'm just walking around, I'm not in character the whole time. If I'm Robin, I'm not, you know, asking where Batman is to strangers. I'm I'm trying to just be myself as much as I can. Um but then there are other situations where if there are kids around or kids are asking for a photo, I love to sort of get into character. So the exact example, you know, if a kid comes up to me and I'm dressed as Robin, I might, you know, I, I'm more apt to want to ask, have you seen Batman anywhere? Like, we need to go get him. We got to watch out for the Joker and really like embody that character. Um, so it depends on the situation. I I like to be me because I like to be me, but... Sometimes it's fun to sort of get lost in the character and and really step into the role-playing part of cosplay. So why do you think, I mean, there's a lot of LGBTQ people who are drawn to cosplay. Why do you think that is? I mean, I think anime is also really popular within the queer community. Yeah, I I mean, it's, it's a pretty great community, both the LGBTQ and the uh, cosplay community. I I don't know. For me, I think... The idea of, like, hiding is something that's sort of ingrained in the queer community, and cosplay for me is, like, a really great escape to sort of step out of who I am, and, you know, that was that was one thing. So at my first convention, I, you know, I wasn't me, I was Robin. I wasn't Mike, I was Robin, and I, you know, people were going, hey, Robin, hey, can I get a picture? And I was... I got to step into this escape. And I think escapism is something that, especially when you're young or you're coming to terms with who you are, is something that can be very enticing. It's a community made up of geeks who feel marginalized. And I think that that makes it feel a bit more like a safe space. Um, Almost the opposite, I guess, to what I was saying earlier, like how it allows you to sort of escape. I think it also lets members of the LGBTQ uh, truly kind of like find themselves so men can dress as women, women can dress as men, we can all dress as aliens, gender and, and skin color and things that sort of make us feel marginalized tend to fade away in the cosplay community. Um, we all just kind of become ourselves and I guess we also become the characters, but it it's a really safe place to go and sort of dip your toes into a world and 
become comfortable with who you are. Do you consider cosplay a form of drag? Mm, this is, <laughs> I've definitely thought about this way too much. It's it's a really confusing situation, I think. There's a lot in common. Both are transformations. Both can include, you know, becoming a character, over-the-top wigs. Both have outfits that are a bit intense. Both can involve makeup. Like there's There's a lot of crossover there, but I just feel like drag is more... Someone in drag is, this is their other persona as opposed to maybe a character. And then that persona could cosplay if they choose to, right? Like, I guess the best example I have is Fifi O'Hara from RuPaul's Drag Race. She's this really well-known drag queen who also cosplays. She's done the Joker, uh, Jesse from Pokemon. I think she's done like a few Rugrats and, and a ton more, but... Fifi, as as a man out of drag's name is Jeremy, so I don't know if I would say that Jeremy cosplays as much as Fifi cosplays. Um, that said, I think cosplay can also be drag. So if I decide I want to be Wonder Woman, I can either do a masculine male version of Wonder Woman, or I can sort of go all out and I can go with the heels and the wig and the makeup. And you know, at that point, it. My cosplay has turned into drag. It's, I don't know. It's a pretty confusing topic because, again, I think cosplay can be whatever you want it to be. So, like, I even feel weird telling, like, saying that maybe Fifi isn't cos, or Jeremy isn't cosplaying and Fifi's cosplaying because it's not up to me um, what their style of cosplay is or when they feel that they're cosplaying. But I think there's an incredible amount of crossover. It's kind of undeniable. I just think that. They're definitely distinct entities that sort of Venn diagram themselves, if that makes any sense. Cosplay offers people the ability to explore who they are without bounds, especially as it relates to gender. But no surprise, comic book conventions are still a haven for straight, cisgender, white dudes. There's a lot of uber-masculinity in the air. A few years ago, Michael waited in line for a photo with Stephen Amell, the Canadian actor who played Green Arrow on the CW superhero series Arrow. When he got to the front, he asked Stephen if they could take a picture holding hands. Well, I think what's interesting is, I think as as welcoming as the cosplay community is and as welcoming as the geek community is, I think it's important to recognize that a majority of the geek community is still sort of cisgendered white men like cisgendered straight white men it it makes up such a huge part of the geek community that it'll never be without this sort of negative aspect to it like of course i i think there were people in line who were probably when i was getting my photo with Stephen amell who were laughing at me as opposed to to with me at kind of the joke and you know there's even some sort of toxic masculinity in the idea of when I asked him to hold hands, he wanted to do it in like a tough kind of way, right? Like he, he wasn't comfortable enough to like hold my hand in a cute, fun way. And I don't know if that's just, I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm jumping the gun here, but like, I feel like there are moments where I can be very butch and look very masculine. And he sort of sussed out the situation and thought, well, you know, this guy probably wants to like look tough. Like he looks like a tough guy. And that wasn't my idea, but that sort of transcends into geek culture, the idea of, like, you know, even when it comes to costumes and, like, maybe fitness, like, working out and stuff like that, like, you have to be tough, you have to be strong, you have to be whatever, and 
Yeah, I think there's definitely, like I said, there's definitely homophobia that comes from outside, I think, the cosplay community that still exists in the geek community. I mean, talking about Star Wars, look at how when the um, Poe and Finn stuff was coming out and everyone was shipping them, there was this huge backlash of people who were like, that's ridiculous, like, stop trying to push your gay agenda on the Star Wars movie, as if these people who live thousands of years in the future could not possibly be a gay couple um so yeah there's there's still a lot of that but i do tend to to push it off and brush it off and not really care i was happy that he even said yes because he could have said no totally when i saw that photo i thought that too but i agree with you on you know that he was like let's do it in a tough way and it's interesting coming from steven because one of his first acting roles was on dante's cove where he i think he did i think he was naked in some of those scenes and it's a super gay show. So I did find that a little bit interesting because it's like, well now back then he was fine being naked, but now he's a superhero. It's a little different. So I I agree with you because I could kind of see that too, but it is a great photo. And I could see why, like you said, seeing you, he's like, Oh, this dude wants to do like a, you know, we're heroes together kind of photo. (laughs) Right. Right. Let's hold hands like superheroes. Let's do it like superheroes, not like boyfriend superheroes. (laughs) No, no, no. Oh, no. God, no. Was it? How did what made you want to do that photo? And how did it go when you asked him? Like, did you just walk up there and be like, can we hold hands? (laughs) I mean, yeah, essentially, um, I have like, pretty intense anxiety. So whenever I have a photo up with a celebrity, I'm planning for like, days before what I'm going to say to them, how I'm going to act, what type of photo I want. And I just wanted something a little silly because I think he's such the character he plays on the show on, on arrow is such a stoic, strong, masculine man. I, I thought it'd be really funny to have just like a little cute moment. I was very nervous about doing this. Um, so I just approached and I, I was like, hi, nice to meet you. Um, I know this sounds strange, but would you mind if we just held hands for the picture and he was like, oh, yeah, like, totally, like, we can, like, hold hands and we'll just, like, look tough, like, flex and look tough. And I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, that, exactly. Let, let's do that. And then the picture happened. When you do these photo ops, you get, like, four seconds, right? right? They pull you in, they go, three, two, one, take the picture next. Three, two, one, take the picture next. So once he, I don't even... I probably blacked out. But once he suggested something different, I just said yes, because I was like, I'm not going to say no and try and fix this. Yeah, it would have been hard in a split second to be like, actually, let me set the scene for you. We're on our way back from getting right. ice cream. It's a very romantic. We're actually on a boardwalk. <laughs> it's dark. Yeah, it would have been tough. Yeah. But and honestly, I don't know if maybe in a different circumstance, he wouldn't have done that, you know? Because I'm sure there is some Mm -hmm. level of he has to take photos with hundreds of people that day. And most of them are cisgender, straight, white dudes who want to look cool and tough. Right. And I actually remember, like, I remember watching all the people going before me and there's all these dudes and they like, they're all like, you know, doing the the handshake where you like hold hands up and you're like flexed or like the finger points to each other or the like, you know, all these like... (laughs) really foolish poses yeah and so i was like i can't do this i can't i can't and i i don't know i think you might have found it refreshing honestly or at least that's the story i tell myself in my head after we got off the boardwalk over the years michael built a strong fan base on patreon 
If you're not familiar, Patreon is a website where creators of all kinds can set up sort of a membership system with their fans. In exchange for a monthly subscription, fans get access to exclusive content, gifts, and anything else the artist decides. It's a platform focused on helping creators keep on creating. Now, Michael has more than 900 people supporting him every month through Patreon. I think the the highest moment for me in sort of my cosplay career was when I started my Patreon, honestly, because it was this new platform that I had never heard of and I didn't know what it was. And it was essentially something that I was, I assumed I would have failed miserably at. I thought, you know, why would anyone want to pay money to see my costumes or to see what I do or to get sneak peeks at anything? Um, but I was, I was, I don't know, feeling myself. So I decided to set one up and I just remember the first day setting one up that, like 10 people signed up for it. And I was like, oh my God, these people, you know, even at $2, people are paying $2 a month to to get sneak peeks at my costumes. And over that month, it grew and it grew and it grew. And there was like 100 people. And I, I couldn't believe that anyone in the world would want to do this. And I was continually getting reassured that people did. And after a month, I realized that I couldn't, do it. I, I I couldn't give the people what they wanted and I was letting everyone down. So I wrote a big post that was basically like, hey, I don't think this is going to work out. Thank you so much, everybody. Um, and all of these messages just came pouring in about how they were here to support me and they were here to support my art. And, you know, even if I didn't have anything immediately to give them, like they would stand by me. And this sort of, I don't know, love and compassion from strangers pushed me to try harder and inevitably I actually ended up quitting my job so that I would have time to make costumes and to create content for you know Patreon and Instagram and Facebook and all of that and I I think the moment where I quit my job and said to my boss no I, I can't work here anymore I'm gonna dress up in costumes full-time was the highest, if not just like the craziest moment of my life, realizing that this was something I could do full time changed my life. It's, it's helped me come out of my shell. It's helped me be more creative. It's helped me see a different side of myself and of my friends and of my family um, that I just never expected. So I don't know, taking this plunge was, was such a huge moment for me. And that was 2015 and I've been doing this full time ever since and I just I don't know every every day I wake up and I still see that there are people out there supporting me I just sort of shake my head and still don't understand it but I'm very thankful yeah because at that point right it's like I just looked at your Patreon it's not about whether they give you two dollars or four hundred dollars or what it is it's that you can see 600 people who believe in whatever it is you create and are willing mm-hmm. to support you doing it. That is kind of magical when you think about it. It is. And I say that to people, you know, people who are even on there already and they're just sort of like, hey, I can't support anymore, like, at whatever level I'm at. Like, I wish you all the the best. And I just say, you can you can make up your own donation amount. And I tell them, I say, even just change it to, to one cent. Change it to 10 cents. It's not about your money. It's about the fact that you're here. It's about the fact that, like, 
I'm creating this content for people. I want this content to be seen. So just knowing that you are supporting me in any way and that you still want to be a part of this this family is is really important to me. So yeah, it's it's really not about the money. It's about seeing th- how many people are like here to help you reach your dreams, essentially. The other side of having nearly a thousand supporters on Patreon and doing cosplay as a career is that inevitably, the thing you love becomes your job. And the stress of continually performing for people and delivering what they're paying for is a lot of pressure. It's just this this nagging anxiety that by cosplaying full-time, I'm going to fall out of love with it. And there are moments where it, it creeps into my head and I sort of give up on everything and I get very, very down on myself. And I, I go into these dark holes of, of self-loathing and thinking that nothing I do is good enough and thinking that, you know people don't actually care about my costumes all they care about is is my body and thinking that people don't care about my body anymore thinking that I'm getting older and that this isn't going to work out and yeah it's it's this idea of always just I'm waiting for the end I always tell people oh by this time next year I won't be cosplaying anymore so it doesn't matter and it's just this feeling that sits there and it's not one low, it's a low that comes back all the time, and I'm trying to find ways to combat it, I'm trying to surround myself with positive people, I'm trying to sort of become more confident in who I am as a person, uh, as opposed to maybe a brand, um, you know, coming to love Mike, rather than trying to love Michael, but it's something that never goes away. Ever since I started doing this full time, um, even looking around my room and seeing unfinished projects, I, they just nag and they pick away at you and they tell you that you're not good enough. And I throw parts of costumes in the garbage because I don't think they're good enough, but other people would probably, you know, pay money to have these costume parts. And it's something that I'm, yeah, I'm, it's, it's something that I'm getting over slowly, but I'm also very realistic in the fact that it won't last forever. What is it that makes you go, no, I'm not giving up. I'm going to keep going, keep making stuff, keep doing it. I Honestly, it's my friends. Um, I surround myself with like-minded people. Uh, my best friends are cosplayers and photographers and they're always there for me. They're always motivating me to keep going. My friend Sean is is like my rock. You know, anytime I hate my body or I hate a costume, he's always there to tell me that it, you know, I only hate it because it's me. I only hate it because it's a thing I put effort into and everyone else is going to love it. And he's always pushing me to come into the studio and shoot things. And he's always pushing me to get new costumes done and have new content. And, you know, my friends, Dan, Courtney, and Kyle, they are all cosplayers and they're always wanting to go to conventions. And when you go to conventions, you need new costumes. And they're always motivating me and pushing me to step out of my comfort zone. You know, I'm I'm learning to sew in different ways that I wasn't sewing before because of them. I'm learning better tips and tricks with foam. And I I just try and surround myself with these incredible people and just remember that, like, it's not just me I'm letting down, but I'm letting down all of my friends as well. 
Right. And so I use that. I use that energy. Friendship is indispensable. When you're down or when you don't feel good about yourself, remember that your friends think you're really cool and they love you. When we come back, we'll talk with Michael about Instagram, sex, Aquaman, and a bunch of other random stuff. Maybe it's obvious to you that Michael Hamm is not really Nightwing, even though he looks exactly like him. But in addition to the make-believe and dress-up of cosplay, there's a lot of performance on Instagram, even without the costumes. And it's important for Michael to remind his followers every now and then that Instagram isn't exactly real life. I think there's a there's a, a mix there of, you know, being goofy, being funny, but also being proud of the hard work you've put into your costume or being proud of the hard work that you've put into um, shaping your body and, and into being healthy or to trying a new diet or lifestyle. Um, but I just don't feel like... I just don't feel like I'm being true to myself all the time. Um, so when I do post things on Instagram, uh, I've done a couple posts, whether they be unedited selfies or, you know, true looks at what my body looks like when I'm not a couple weeks out from a photo shoot, where I just want to make make it known that what you see on Instagram isn't at all real. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I'm I'm not here to knock people who use Facetune or people who Photoshop XYZ. Sure, there's an argument to be made that, like, you're kind of promoting a negative culture around body image. But I think as long as you're open and honest about it, then it's it's much less of a deal because... I don't know, people are allowed to look how they want to look. So if someone wants to go get breast implants, they're allowed to go get breast implants. And we can't just tell them that by them getting breast implants, they're contributing to a negative stereotype of of women's bodies. And I feel the same way about Photoshop and Facetune. So I'm not trying to knock those things per se, but I think you do need to be real with people and, and let them know that like the way I look in these photos is not achievable every day. You just, you can't, you can't just be, I mean, you can, but it's probably not a healthy way to live. And so it's very important to me that people realize that this is part of my job is, is to look like this. Um, I love going to the gym. Uh, it's sort of like my happy place, putting my headphones in for an hour and a half and listening to great music and, and doing something I enjoy is, is a great, like it's, it's the best time of my day, but that's not why I cosplay, right? That's, I don't, or that's not, I don't go to the gym so that I can cosplay. I don't go to the gym so that I can be a thirst trap. Although, in all honesty, they do sort of circle around each other, right? I recognize that I wouldn't have this career if I wasn't as fit as I was. And I'm very thankful that I have this career, but I'm I'm smart enough to recognize that, like, a large part of that is my appearance in these costumes and out of these costumes. Because so much of Michael's content is shirtless selfies, not that anyone is complaining, he gets a lot of offers from underwear subscription services and brands like Andrew Christian asking him to promote their products. One of the things I make sure to do is I always go through their Instagram and then I have this sort of copy and pasted 
email response that I send to them that's basically like, hi, thank you so much for your interest. Um, I've noticed that on your Instagram account, the majority of your models are fit, white, you know, whatever. If I'd love to work with you, but before doing so, I'd like to see a bit more diversity. If you can, you know, find a few more POCs or you can find, you know, some different body shapes, I would love to work with you guys. But until then... I have to decline because I, and then the bottom is like basically a really preachy, like, I don't want to contribute to blah, 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 blah. Um, so it's something that's actually really, really important to me. It's just hard to work around when it's also your job, I suppose. Michael doesn't actually follow a lot of super sexy shirtless selfie Instagram accounts like his own, unless they're his friends. It may come as a surprise, but when he's out of character, he's not running around shirtless and snapping selfies. It's just part of the game. Cosplay and and sex are so deeply intertwined at this point where, unfortunately, the only way you can be a professional cosplayer is to have, you know, sex in some way intertwined into it. If you look at any of the top cosplayers, they all have their boudoir stuff, their lewd stuff, their whatever. Um and it just sucks because the only way that you can the only way that you can make a living out of it is to do that part and it's almost like i don't like being a thirst trap when i go to the gym because i like going to the gym but even when i go to like the beach i wear a t-shirt the entire time because i'm so embarrassed of having my shirt off like this all spurs from like when i was a kid and i was chubby and whatever but even now, like, I don't take my shirt off when I'm at pools. I don't take my shirt off when I'm at the beach. Uh, it's not who I am. So having these, like, shirtless photos of me pretending that I'm sexy and trying to give bedroom eyes to a non-existent person is so surreal to me and not at all who I am. But I know that it's it's part of the marketing. Like, if I don't do it, then I don't get to cosplay full-time. I don't get to do what I love. And so there's this idea of throwing away who you are so that you can kind of get the career that you want or or continue following your passion. And that's not to say I'm not an overly sexual per. Well, I'm not. I'm not an overly sexual person. But, you know, there on every February on Patreon, I do like a lewd month. Um, and it really gives me a chance to sort of dabble in in my sex appeal and see if it's something I'm interested in and if it's you know if I feel any different than I did the previous year about posting sexy photos and it's been making me feel a bit more confident but yeah that it's basically like I don't like thirst traps Uh, I just recognize it as part of the game and so I don't follow thirst traps so let me unless I know them personally okay got it (laughs) So let me know that, let me get this yeah. straight. So you're totally fine, like cosplaying as Aquaman, like totally shirtless, coming out of the sea, but then you go to the pool and you put a shirt on and you get in the water? Uh, yeah, at 100%, absolutely, because it is not Michael Ham walking around shirtless, it's Aquaman walking around shirtless. Michael Ham is embarrassed to walk around shirtless. Aquaman has no problem with it. <laughs> Aquaman is probably the the costume for me that I resonate the most with, uh, just because Aquaman himself as a character was, and, and you will probably know this, 
always the character getting like shit on the most for being the most useless character in the Justice League. Like it was such a big joke, right? He could only talk to fish. Why is he in the Justice League with Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman when all he can do is talk to fish? And that character always resonated with me. I always felt like the Aquaman in any group and it always felt like my duty when cosplaying Aquaman to make him seem cool, to make him seem tough, to make people fall in love with him. And I think, actually, I think the movie did a great job of that by using Jason Moa. But yeah, Aquaman has always been the character where I was like, oh, you're the loser that no one believes in, but like you are extremely powerful and and you are worthy to be in the Justice League. No one knows it yet, though. I mean, they did give him like more... He has a lot, like, yes, he talks to fish, but he's also like a badass. Like he jumps out of a plane and just rolls across the sand. You know what I mean? Like, I think they beefed right, him up a right. little bit. They did make him a little, I think, well, that's exact. Like they'd made him a little douchey, but um, that's fine. For me, Aquaman was, yeah, he was just his loser. And it was always like, people didn't understand that like he could, he could kick Superman's ass. Like his strength is incredible. And yeah, anyway. I could do a whole podcast on just that. It's fine. Just just him. Just Aquaman. Just a whole Aquaman podcast. Unfortunately or fortunately, depending on who you're talking to, Pride isn't a podcast all about Aquaman. It's a podcast about celebrating brilliant people in the LGBTQ plus community. And I like to ask my guests about their coming out story. I mean, I don't really have a big coming out story. Honestly, like... I've never even really come out in the traditional sense of coming out. You know, it's not that I think my queerness is something I hide, but it's never been something that I've sort of shouted from the rooftops. It's strange because it's it's not something that I wear on my sleeve very much because... Well, I don't know, because the people I choose to love or find attractive, it doesn't really matter much to me. And, like, it doesn't really matter much to my identity, in all honesty, I think it matters much more to everyone else. Like, I know how I feel, uh, but there's this sort of insatiable thirst for people to shove you in a category. Um, like, they need to know if you're an L, you're a G, you're a B, you're a T. They need to put you in that box. But I guess... Also, like, I guess on the flip side, I do recognize the need for sort of queer visibility, right? Like, that's where I kind of get torn apart my story is mine to tell in the way that I choose to tell it. But as a person in a position of like in a privileged position and who has an audience, is it, is it my duty to share my sexuality with the world? Um, it, you know, is it my duty to share the sexuality with the world so that people will see me and feel more comfortable with themselves? Maybe, I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's not like me telling the world that I'm gay would surprise many people I feel, but Yeah. Some of my previous guests have said that coming out is sometimes more for everyone else than for yourself. You're kind of expected to choose a label. And labels aren't for everyone. I asked Michael if he still identifies as gay, and he said, no, not exactly. It's difficult because there have been times in my life where I have been like 100% certain I'm gay, but there have been times early on in my life where I was 100% certain I was straight, and it, it always kind of went back and forth for me. Uh, But the majority of my life, I've actually been rather confused myself about how I choose to identify. It's kind of sad to hear a grown man say that out loud. But you know, there was one point where for a very long time, I identified asexually. 
Um, sex was just something I had absolutely no interest in. And it felt kind of weird. And I didn't really want people to know because, well, I don't know. I already felt like people only liked me because of my body. So if they weren't going to be able to sleep with me, I just felt like they would never want me at all. So keeping the asexuality a secret was important to me because I felt like it was the only way I would ever actually get into a relationship. Uh, But it was actually sort of during this time that I realized that, you know, maybe gender didn't really matter to me. Like, if I wasn't fucking anyone, then what they had between their legs or in their pants didn't really matter. Um, What I needed was some of that... um, you know, good old-fashioned emotional connection. I wouldn't say that I still identify asexually. So, sorry, Mom. I, I do have sex. Uh, but I would say that um, gender doesn't really play much of a role in my love life. I don't, I don't really know what to call it. Uh, is it pansexual? Is it bisexual? Is it demisexual? Should I just say that, like, I'm a 4.5 out of 6 on the Kinsey scale? I... I don't know. I guess that doesn't really answer the question, but I mean, I guess it kind of explains why I find it so much easier to just say nothing at all. Um, I just kind of want someone in my life who will make me happy, as cheesy as that sounds, and yeah, who whoever that is doesn't really matter to me. So sorry for the long-winded answer that doesn't really answer your question, but... I feel like rather than saying one box, I gave I gave a few boxes that could be checked off. And if anyone figures out, you know, what I am, I would love to know so that I can I can finally tell myself how I feel. But yeah. So if you could hook up with one of your characters, which one would it be? The okay, this is an awkward answer because they're also a real person. So oh, <laughs> I don't need any judgment. Um, but. The blue Power Ranger, and I don't necessarily mean like the actor, but like the character. Um, when I used to watch Power Rangers, I just like thought he was so amazing, and he was. <laughs> I found out later, like he's just so my type. Like he was nerdy. He had the glasses. He wore the overalls, which are cool again. Um, and I just, I don't know, being a a young man and sort of seeing a a teenager was always uh you know you felt a little you felt a little naughty i suppose oh this is the worst answer to this question i'm so sorry no it's good that's funny it's but it's weird because like it's weird because like now i'm not a teenager like i'm a grown-ass man and he's still a teenager so i feel like that shouldn't be the answer because the blue power ranger will forever be a teenager yeah I don't... You're talking don't about, really like, like, Billy, right? Is, like, that's the Power Ranger. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Billy the Blue Power Ranger. Yeah, sorry. To me, there's only one Blue Power Ranger. I know there's, like, nine, but... When I was a kid on the playground, I was always, like, I'm the Pink Ranger because Kimberly does aerials and backflips and has a lot of really great catchphrases. So I'll be that one. So that was always my go-to. I would. Well, I mean, yeah, looking I was... back, if I cosplayed as the Pink Ranger, I would be a big-ass Kimberly. Because I'm like six feet tall, so I would be a massive Kimberly, but still. It's fine. I, I actually have this embarrassing like story where I told the actor who plays the Blue Power Ranger that I always wanted to be the Red Power Ranger because I always wanted to get with the Blue Power Ranger. 
so I could never actually be the blue Power Ranger. <laughs> so, got it. I mean, that's funny. So when you're ever you're like playing, you're like, I, I'm the red one, and where's Billy? <laughs> right. Even though I identified with like the nerdy one, I was like, well, I can't be him because then I, how will I be with him? It makes no sense. <laughs> Wait, did you tell the actor this? Because the actor is gay too. Yes. Yeah. 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 I did. How did it was real awkward. Yeah. Can you tell that all of my celebrity encounters are wildly uncomfortable? I, maybe they are just for you, because I'm sure there's, they have worse encounters where they're like, holy shit, I don't know what just happened, but that's not going to happen again. So I, maybe it's just I just think you, you got to shoot your shot. <laughs> yeah, you might as well just tell them, like, can I be the Red Ranger to your Blue Ranger? Right, can I hold your hand? <laughs> Michael works on his costumes nonstop. The internet gets bored pretty quickly, so he feels like he has to have a new suit to share every single month. That means a lot of sewing, a lot of repurposing old attire, and just a lot of work in general. Oh boy, right now I am literally working on about seven different costumes. Um, so physically I'm working on Cyclops, Beast Boy, Danny Phantom... Uh, Spider-Man Fire From Home, I'm working on a new Green Lantern, I'm working on a character named Apollo. The list honestly keeps going on, um, but in a more general sense, I'm working on becoming <laughs> much better at creating content and posting more often. <laughs> it's kind of like a goal I have, so I, I because I don't enjoy, you know, that thirsty side, I'm trying to come to terms with that a bit more. And that's my sort of cognitive what I'm working on versus my physical what I'm working on. So you're just coming to terms with the thirst trap and either embracing it or hiding it under a costume with foam. One or, one or the other. I feel like both <laughs> are okay options. I think so. I uh, it, It's always a mix of both. Like I would love to come to terms with the thirst trap thing because I think it would cause a lot less cognitive dissonance uh, and a lot less sort of mental turmoil but one day at a time one day at a time if you like his work make sure you support him on patreon so you can get the inside scoop on all things michael ham you can subscribe for two dollars per month at the good samaritan tier and get access to his patreon feed or you can go wild and give him $100 per month. You'll get a lot of stuff, like being entered into a monthly giveaway, access to his secret Snapchat feed, a bunch of signed 8x10 prints, access to an even more exclusive Patreon feed, and he'll even Skype or FaceTime with you to answer questions and chat about new ideas for photo shoots, videos, and costumes. You can find me on Patreon at www patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash michael ham m-i-c-h-a-e-l-h-a-m-m and you can follow him on instagram at hammy 73 73 was the uh number given to me by hotmail when i was six years old and got an email and i've just used it ever since that's it i got an email when i was i like turned six and i got an email and it was hammy I think underscore 73 or some bullshit like that. And I was like, okay, I guess that's it. That's my number. It was my hockey number. It was my rugby number. I've just kept it ever since then. 
wait, you played rugby and hockey, like two of the most like masculine smash people into things games. I'm I'm Canadian, so you're forced to play rug or play, play hockey at birth. So that's not really a choice. Uh, and yeah, I played rugby all through high school. It was like the okay, but like, can we? It's an amazing sport. I love it. Yes, it's masculine. Yes, yes, yes. But it's just a bunch of dudes in very short shorts. Like football, you are completely covered. Hockey, you are completely covered. So don't go around acting like rugby is this tough macho sport. So it was like you with a bunch of other guys in booty shorts, just like skipping across the field. You literally stick your head, you stick your head between each other's legs. Oh, so that's why you want, okay, I understand now. Okay. That sounded romantic, but it's a very disgusting place to be during a rugby game. <laughs> That's really Oh funny. no, I just gave up what I think romance is. Yeah, you just stick you just put your yeah. heads between what is it? Say it again. You just <laughs> put your head between their legs. And you're in love. And that's romance. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Pride is a production of Straw Hut Media. If you like the show, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're tuning in from. Share us with your friends, subscribe, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Pride. Yes, it's at Pride. You can follow me at Levi Chambers. Pride is produced by me, Levi Chambers, Maggie Bowles, and Ryan Tillotson. Edited by Sebastian Alcala. Light a couple candles, get some roses. Head between the legs, done.